0: This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit RedemptionAZ.com. Get to Jonah chapter 2. We're going to be looking at one verse today. Jonah chapter 2. And let's stand together as we read Jonah chapter 2. We're going to read the whole thing, but the whole focus is going to be just on this one little section. So let's stand together. And then as we get to that and Pastor Wayne reads it, this is the section we're going to study all today. Just this one line, salvation comes from the Lord. But as we read, as Pastor Wayne reads, let's remember this is God's word.
1: Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All of your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. And we're going to end right here. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have owed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Hallelujah. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So I know last week we, we covered chapter 2 in, in this journey through, through Jonah But sometimes as we are going through books, we hit these moments where we see these are very significant threads that are are staples and pillars to 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 our foundation as a as as a body of believers that we want to slow down and 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 look deeper at. That we wanna linger at for a bit, not just sort of just Go past it. And the beautiful thing is that we get to linger and see these threads in the context in which it was, it was said. And the thread that we're looking at this morning is salvation belongs to the Lord. Yeah. So what I want to do in order for us to see this uh, right and get this, I want to I look at two in two ways. One is salvation seen through through Jonah's lenses. And then the other is Israel's reading of Jonah. I want to look through Jonah's eyes for a second and then let that lead us into a, a discussion about salvation being the Lord. You see, salvation is, is, is a word that is, is used to talk about deliverance, yes. right? Yes. Deliverance, that's what this word is used. And it's a, and, and it's a term when people say, I'm saved, right? A lot of times people hear this word, I'm saved, I'm saved. But what, what it's saying is that, that, that salvation or deliverance has happened to us. Salvation or deliverance has happened to me. I'm saved. I've been saved. I've been delivered. It's delivered from death and the depth of our sin. And the statement that Jonah is making right here is saying the reality of this salvation is owned by God. Okay, then this is really, really important. So, because a lot of times we, we we miss that. So, what I want to do is I want to look through Jonah's eyes. I want to look through Jonah's eyes, like, like where is Jonah at in his life, this moment in his life where he makes this statement. And we just looking at chapter two, you see Jonah's at a place of of, of being self-aware. And acknowledging, like some of us don't aren't, aren't self-aware of what we're really at, what's really going on, and and, and and we're not acknowledging some really really strong truths. We're like in denial, but 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 Jonah is aware of his reality. He says, "Out of the belly of Sheol, this way he cried." Now, this this word means place of the dead. He he's he's acknowledging this place. You see. You ever heard the term, um, um, dead men tell no lies? That's that, that because they can't talk. They're dead. They have no power. He's, he's talking about he's at a place of powerlessness. Yes. right? I have no ability whatsoever. I'm, I'm, I'm at a dead place. Yes. He goes on and he's talking and he says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me. This is like a prisoner, a prisoner with no ability to change his situation. He's powerless here, dead, a prisoner, bars are are closed in. And then he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit. You. Here's where I'm at. I'm at this dead place. I'm a a prisoner. I'm bound up. I I can't do nothing for myself but you, Lord. Lord. He acknowledges the reality of his powerlessness and names God alone as sovereignly powerful. Yes. God brought him from death and freed him from bondage without a partnership with God. He was powerless. He makes a statement from this place of aware of how powerless I am. And, and acknowledging, humbly acknowledging how powerful God is. Yes. So this is, this is Jonah's eyes as he, he writes this and he remembers where he's at. But I want to also look through the lens of how the original readers would have read this. You see, as they were reading through the book of Jonah, what would have came to their mind is Israel. They would have seen Jonah's story as a a microcosm of Israel's story. They would have connected those two dots. Jonah's salvation as a reflection of Israel's salvation. And as we go into it this morning, the prayer is that we would read this and see Jonah or Israel's salvation a reflection of our salvation. A salvation connected to the mission of God. Mm. You see,
0: The hard thing for us to see is the scope of salvation. And the reason why is because we're told of the scope of salvation in through one lens. And what I love about what you just did there is you showed us that there is a lens of the individual who is being saved. And that lens of salvation is God has saved me. (laughs) But what Jonah forces us to do is not just see the individual's salvation, But see that God, as the author of salvation, through Jonah's salvation, is also saving Nineveh. And that's hard for us to see. Because what we only care about, like Jonah, is our own salvation. And we don't see that salvation has greater extents. And this is why it was prophetic to Israel, like what Wayne was saying. Because if you look at Jonah's story as a microcosm, What you see is Israel was chosen and elected as God's people to be a light to the nations, but didn't want to be a light to the nations. They wanted to keep the election to themselves. You see, there's missional implications to our salvation. And this salvation is, now this is big terms that I'll try to make as small as possible because I, I, I try to grapple with these, but salvation is cosmic it's communal, and it's individual. And you're going, did we really have to go there today? We're not taking a uh, seminary class. But I want to say that and then kind of try to sum it up in this way. Salvation is as vast as creation, but as detailed as me. Okay? Salvation is as vast as creation, but it's as detailed as you. You see, it's important to see that you are a detail in God's creation, but you are not the only part of God's salvation. There is, there is a much bigger plan that God has when he speaks of salvation. And so what I'm going to try to do is give you kind of pictures, and if it works for you, cool. If you're like, still, I don't get it, it's all good. Because I think salvation is not understood because it belongs to God. It's experienced. It's experienced. Right, And so I think many theologians and many seminaries and many Christians have grappled, and we're going to talk about that with a minute to try to understand. So if you get done and you're like, I still don't get it, all right. But hopefully this helps you understand. I want you to see that when God created the world, he didn't start with you. (laughs) Let me say that again. When God created the world, he didn't even start with man. He started with creation. He started by creating the world. And then as he created the world, he then created on day six a community before he created a one. You see, the poem of creation is all of light and all of creation and everything and birds and animals were done. And then he said, let us make. Let us make man in our own image, male and female, we created him. And then it's not till chapter 2 that he zooms in on the individual. He doesn't get to the individual until the individual sees his scope in the midst of all of creation. And then the role that that one plays as that one man. Now, as we take them apart, I want you to see, we should never take them apart, because what God makes one, sin separates So when you separate all of creation and pull yourself out of it, you are operating in a sinful pattern. We have to try to see it as all of one God's big creation. But if we separate it out, I want you to go to Adam, that one man, Adam, who who was separated out. It is through this one man that all of sin entered into the world. He created all this world perfect to shalom, this perfect community, and this one man's sin affected the community, and then it ultimately affected the world. This is Romans chapter 5 if you ever want to do some study on it. But also, there's another hope that we have, that when God wanted to save the world, He didn't come in and just wipe out all of creation. Matter of fact, He promised, I'll never do that again. He didn't come to wipe out all of creation. He actually came and said, what I'm going to do is bring one man, Jesus, and through this one man, the blood of Jesus is going to redeem a people, and that one people who are filled with the Spirit and have the blood of Jesus flowing through their veins is here because they're on mission for the whole world. That he didn't come to destroy the world and let's start all over. He came to be that one new man who would pay the price for all of sin. But through one man, sin entered the world. But also through one man, life entered the world. So whenever salvation is spoke of, it is speaking of the individual in context of individual salvation. But he never saves the one just for the one. He never saves the one just for the one. The one is a part of a bigger plan of salvation. And what you have to see is salvation comes through one. It comes to one, but it also comes through one to all. So where you have to begin to see your part is that when God saves you, he doesn't just save you from sin. He saves you for a purpose. When we speak of salvation, we often talk about he's delivered me from something. (laughs) But we have to see he doesn't just want you to stop sinning. That's not his greatest joy in life. He delivers us from the bondage and death of sin, and he brings us into a family, this one new man, the church community, that he has set amongst the nations to be a light to the rest of the world of what this life looks like, and that that is for the redemption of the whole world, that there will be a day, there will be a day where all of the world will be saved. All of creation. All of it. And what Wayne's going to talk about next week is that repentance was, in Nineveh, was as vast as creation. You see animals repenting and fasting. You see all these kinds of repentance. Because what God does in the work of salvation is not just for Jonah. It's for Nineveh. And this is where we enter into, I would say, um, a cosmic struggle, if you will. And that cosmic struggle has been age old. People have been arguing for years about who owns salvation.
1: Yeah, this, that's, and that's, a, that's like, has always been this wrestle of, okay, who's saved, who's not saved? And, and, and people trying to grapple with the eternal realities of salvation. And, and, and it's almost to get to this point as, as, as I know so much as if, like, I own it. Like I, like, I authored it, and so, so and people are trying to, to figure this out and figure that out, and what ends up happening is we start to to trying to, to manage and control the mechanics of salvation, so much so that we end up becoming distracted from resting in the reality of our good father in control of it, right, right, right? We're all stressed out. We're all trying to figure this out, uh, I mean... But, but, but not resting in, but there's a good God who knows all things, who is all powerful, who has authored salvation. He didn't ask you to, to come and figure it out for him. He's saying to trust him, and, and we are missing the reality of resting inside of him. But that's that tension, that tension of, of, of wrestling with I got to try to figure it all out.
0: Mm. Uh, last night I, I was sitting with the RSU students, which if you're in here, love you. Um, Last time I tried to say, if you're in here, say whoop, whoop, and there was not one in the first service. So I'm not going to do it because you all are haters. Not one whoop, whoop. There was an RSU student, but they didn't say whoop, whoop. So I'll try it now. If you're in here, say whoop, whoop. Oh, ha, ha, I got three this time. I'm happy about that. Uh, I asked this question to open up the conversation. I said, how do you know if you're saved? And there was a massive struggle. Rooted in insecurity, and I—I'll bet you, oh, those little kids, man, they're wrestling with so I I guarantee you, if I opened that same question to you, how do you know that you're saved? You would wrestle. The wrestle is rooted in the same thing Jonah is struggling with. The wrestle for our own personal salvation is rooted in pride. That is, we need to know based upon our own abilities did we do enough to save ourselves? So here's what we do. We create our own measurements for salvation. We say, did I read my Bible enough? Did I give enough? Did I attend church enough? Did I do these things enough? Not only do you give those measurements, religion tries to make it really clear who's in and who's out. They try to tell you, did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? All these kinds of things we try to clean up salvation. And can we be for real, for real? Are you down with that? I mean, I don't know about these. I don't know if they're for real, for real. But we're just going to be for real, for for, for real, for real. Right? The reality is we are a part of a camp and and, and a part of a, a group that believes salvation belongs to our God. And I love the depth of its theology, but for some reason, Inside of that theology, we have thought salvation belongs to our God, but we still posture ourselves in a position where we are constantly trying to figure out who's saved and who's not saved.
1: Right. Over and over again, you see people all the time like, well, well, I could tell this person. As a matter of fact, it, it hinders us from living into our missional identity yeah. and stuff where, where, where God doesn't tell us to try to figure that out and yeah. stuff. He tells us to live into this thing and stuff. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and that he would draw people yeah. unto himself, yes. right, and stuff. But then we, we miss that and stuff. And we start, because we have these metrics, like you were saying, yes. and measurements and stuff, yes. then we look on other people who we don't feel fit into those metrics and measurements and discount them without even giving a second thought. Like, And then the people that we share the gospel with are people that we think, ah. based off of our measurements, ah. oh, they, I bet you they respond. Yeah. And, I, and I've been sizing them up and stuff. And everything that we're measuring has everything to do with us, uh. not God, not the power of a, the God that created all existence. He's not even an equation. Uh. Everything that i measured up is all the things that I feel makes sense and puts that person in a position to be able to, Come on, to receive, and it, and, and it hinders us.
0: And the reality of this age-old struggle is that was the struggle of Adam and Eve in the garden. I want to control my own life. I want to save myself. I want to be like God. I want to grasp it. The one thing God told them not to grasp for, they wanted to touch. The one thing they says belongs to him, salvation, we want to grab and say it's ours. Because this forces us into a place where when salvation belongs to him, it is rooted not in our pride and our ability. It's rooted in one thing. We trust him. We trust him. We trust Him with our lives, and that puts us into this spot. Because here's the same song that all of creation is going to be singing. Revelation says there's one song that all nations, tribes, and tongues are going to be singing before the Lamb who's seated on the throne. They're all going to be singing, salvation belongs to our God and unto the Lamb. So you are not going to stand before God and say, look what I did to stand here. You're never You're never going to do it. Or no, I had enough faith to get here. Or I gave enough money to get here. You're never going to be able to boast in yourself the song we're singing for all eternity and you better start singing it now salvation belongs to him that addresses two things and both of them are rooted in pride your insecurity in your own salvation god the father of the world does not want his children wandering around wondering if they're his children And when we are struggling with our salvation and whether we are saved, it's rooted in we're trying to figure out whether or not we've done enough. It's the same pride that's rooted in whether we're trying to manage who God can save like Jonah and our part in his role, and if we are called to go. And so this age-old struggle continues. But what we want to do today is boldly declare the nature of salvation. And here's, here's some good times to say amen and just rejoice, because what we need to do is get a bigger view of our God who saves. Can you say amen to that?
1: Amen, amen. So here's the first thing here. Look, look, the work of salvation is initiated by God's grace. So we got to understand that the work of salvation is initiated like God is the one that started the work, right? It, it wasn't initiated because you liked them so much, because you studied so much, and you've been in seminary so long. It was initiated by God's grace. He was doing the work that, that, that you had no idea of out of his grace, whether it had to do with your mom and them or people way, way, way back, like the people in Nineveh have no idea of the work of grace working on their behalf while Jonah was out here struggling in the water, getting tossed inside of a fish. They have no idea. There's grace that's working that they have—they don't know about. They wouldn't say, no, let us repent ahead of time so that God can come. Instead, God has done initiated a pathway of grace that's coming right towards them. And it's the same thing for us. Grace is what initiated this pathway of salvation. It is
0: by grace that you have been saved. It is by grace that you have been saved. And it comes through faith, through trusting in Him, that the work of salvation is not achieved by our boasting. It's achieved by God's power. God. It's not by our might. It's not by our power. It is by His Spirit, says the Lord. Now, if we go back to creation, it was dark and empty, there was nothing. If God didn't initiate the creation of the whole world, there was nothing to earn it. That's where we have to see. Ourselves. It's not that we came after God. It's that God in Christ came after us. It's not that we turned and said, come get us. It was that he came after. No one seeks God, Scripture said. It's accomplished after his power, his grace. He is the one who saves. And not only does he save, he's the only one who can do it.
1: I mean is it's, it's, it's funny as you you say that, and, and you think of all the things that we try to take yeah. and offer back to God as if it originated with us. Uh-huh. right? I think about uh, there was the Father Day gift where my, my, my daughter packaged a, a very nice gift, and I opened the gift up, yeah. and it was my own tie out of my own closet nice. yeah. that she repackaged and gave to me <laughs> and just designed it a little bit yeah, yeah. more and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you and stuff, you know. But she's offering, and, and that's what we do with God, like try to offer something that, that's already, already his. But here's the next thing. The work of salvation is offered on God's terms. Listen, it's not like you and God came and sat down in a meeting like, let's hatch out the terms of, of my salvation and our relationship together, God. and stuff. So, that's not what happens here. It's not how it works. No, no, it's on God's terms. He's the one that created the covenant. He covenanted everything into existence. And then he came and he grabbed you and brought you into it. And he's saying, this is what it is. And this is what it's all about. It's on his terms. But we try to have salvation with God on our terms and keep wondering why things aren't working out. Because just like, Lord, if you just fit into my plan right here and stuff, salvation will work just good. And God is like, we'll see how that works for you. Come on. on.
0: The work of salvation is accomplished by God's son. Can we say amen to that? When you see Jesus on the cross, not only did he say you are valuable enough, he was the only one rich enough to pay the value that he set for you. You see, there's a difference when you say something's worth a million dollars and having the million dollars to pay for it. You hear me? You can say something's worth something but not be able to pay for it. Jesus said we are worth, we are worth, the, we are his image bearers. We have this worth inerrant that God has built into us. He, he, he created us in his image and likeness. And the only thing that could pay for his image and likeness is his perfect image and likeness. He's the only one that could accomplish our salvation. And it only came to us because of the work of Jesus. And we will only know our deliverer when we know Jesus. Salvation comes through Jesus and is accomplished because of Jesus.
1: Come on, come on. The next one is here. The work of salvation is secured by God's promises. Listen, like, we'll look for everything else to to root our security in. We'll we' will we we'll, we'll look to how how well we feel we've performed with our own checklist of, of performance. We'll we we'll, we'll look to what we know, we'll look to to our reputation, we'll look to all these things. But there's one thing in scripture that, that 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 secures this and that's his word. The his promises, what he said would do our our good God, what he says and we, uh, I'm trusting in your word. I'm trusting in your promises. You said that if I trust in you, if I believe inside of you, you said these things and and my salvation is rooted in your promises as the God of all of existence. This is where it's rooted at.
0: And when that is true, it comes down to something we all really struggle with. The work of salvation is guaranteed by God's sovereignty can't tell you how many arguments people get into over God's sovereignty. Is he sovereign or not? Some say he's not. Some say he is. And we spend years arguing it over it, why he sits up there sovereignly. Church, I want you to see the sovereignty of God at work. Because often we struggle. Does that mean I don't have any choices? And does that mean I don't have any? I want you to see a man, Jonah, who continued to make free will choices. He chose to run from God's plan. He chose to run into the, he chose to be thrown over rather than to continue to repent. He chose all, he continued to choose. And in all of his choosing, God used his choosing and still accomplished his sovereign plan. This is how crazy sovereign God is. Everybody's trying to stop his sovereign plan, and he uses those trying to stop his sovereign plan to accomplish his sovereign plan. That what you see in this is that when God said, I am going to save Nineveh, he goes, no, you're not. And he goes, I'll use your no, you're not to actually do it. He is so sovereign, that in our rebellion, he'll use that to accomplish his plan. In our obedience, he'll use that to accomplish his plan. He'll take all the good and all, all things work together for good. He, the sovereign God, has taken a completely rebellious people and on his guarantee has said, look, y'all are trying to stop it and many people are working against it, but I got this. I got this. And that is not just, hey, I'm sitting up there controlling everything and nobody. That is in the midst of everybody trying to take over the sovereign reign of this world. He goes, trust me. Trust me. Trust me. You see, the sovereignty of God is the only thing that we can trust in so deeply. Because if we're trusting in our choice, we will continue to choose death. And rebellion. But if we're trusting in the sovereign work of God, we have an anchor to stand upon that even in my rebellion, you will bring me back into a place of seeing how much. You see, when, when, when Jonah screams out, salvation belongs to our God. I don't want you to hear that as a theological revelation. I want you to hear that as a Uncle. Uncle! I've tried to control everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've tried to run everything. I've tried to do my own thing. Uncle! Hallelujah. It's an interesting thing. Wayne and I have laughed about this. There are a lot of churches that argue theologically about these kind of theological points of salvation. And we've had pastors and leaders go, Do you guys have these debates and classes with your people in your church? And we're like, Over some things, but whenever we preach this in our church, we may have one or two. But most of you all literally do not struggle with this. And and here's the reason why. I really believe when you've spent your life just completely rebelling against God, and you see yourself sitting in this room, and you hear, listen, you didn't choose God. God chose you. You're like, duh. Duh. Smart people sit around and argue about who saves and what was my choice in the matter. Saved people just go, duh. I was trying to work against God. I was choosing sin over and over again. I was running from Him. I don't need to sit around and argue about did I save myself. I didn't even know to save myself. You want to know one of my favorite things about being a part of this church? Is you all come from, from some pretty dark places. Some pretty jacked up corners of the earth. Nobody thought you were going to, last, last week when we were baptized, on Easter, when we were yeah. baptizing, I kept saying to people, because I know their stories, I kept saying to them, nobody would have thought you would be here with tears rolling down their face. They didn't even argue. No, I chose this. <laughs> nobody thought. You didn't even think. Salvation belongs to God. For some reason in this congregation, not one of us have struggled. Now, there's other theological things we've struggled with. But this one, we're like, yeah, that makes sense. I was trying to stop his plan. I was trying to work against him. I was trying to do all my own things. But God rescued me. God delivered me. But here's here's what I want you to hear today. Last night, we were struggling with with this in the RSU group. And one girl said, I don't think God wants us to know. And I said, what do you mean? I think he wants us to just trust him. I said, actually, you get it. You get it. I don't think he wants us to know the mechanics I don't think he wants us to know the ins and outs of his sovereignty. I don't think he wants us to touch the fruit and try to figure it out and offer it to who we think we should get it. I think there is something to just going, I got to trust him. I got to trust him. But here's the power of this, Wayne. If there's anything that we have continued to to press into in this church is that God has saved you. But I, I want you to hear this. Some of you really struggle with the other side. You're just happy that God has saved you. But can you hear this today? God hasn't just saved you from sin. He has saved you for a great purpose in life. And that great purpose is that He didn't just save you for you. That He has something that He wants to do. He wants to bring about His work of salvation through His people, through His saved people. And that we need to be a part of God's work in praying for others and seeing that he is sending us into all the world to preach this message of salvation.
1: Right. That's, that's what this time, this time in the service is about, right? As we go into communion right now, we're not just coming into communion just thinking about, look, the Lord saved me. We are definitely thinking about the Lord saved me. But what that saving is a part of, it's a part of his mission, his plans. When Jonah makes this statement, he's, he's, he's quoting Psalms uh, 3 and 8. Uh, he's read Psalms 3 and 8 where, where David writes this. And, and he says, Salvation belongs to our God. And and, and, and and as and as a prophet, Jonah would have known this front and back, inside and out. And here he is in the belly of a fish. He tried to run. He went everywhere where he needed to to go to try to get away from God. And he's like, salvation belongs to you. And he submits. And as we come to the tables this morning, that's the thing that that we're praying will be on your hearts. In chapter 1, we talked about stop running. But we want you to to just stop running and stand still. So last week when we talked about chapter 2, it was the same chapter we talked about start praying. Start talking to your God. But some of us, we can talk to God and pray to God all the time, but we don't submit. So today we're saying submit to God. And some of you inside here know exactly what that applies to. So as you're coming to this table this morning, you're saying, Lord, I submit to you. I submit to to your will, to your way. I'm giving up, Lord. Have your way. Do what you're doing. And I know that it's way bigger than me. Hallelujah. So yeah, the bread represents his body that's, that's given for us in the juice. It represents his blood that continues to flow for us as he submitted to the will of the Father and called us into this life of submission. Trust our God. The tables are open. If you need prayer, some of us will be over here to, to pray for you. Submit to your camp.